it starts with uh, analyzing your strengths and weaknesses and what are the uh, growth areas you want to aim. Welcome to 20-Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, Upwest, and Hippo Insurance. Welcome, everyone, to episode 101, and we have Daron Simon, a C-level executive, investor, and advisor. Daron is a C-level executive with diverse experience in strategy, M&A, general management, and board of directors. He's an active investor and a strategic advisor with focus on growth, change management, funding, and mergers and acquisitions. Most recently, Daron was a vice president at NICE and general manager of NICE Suchmetrics. Previously, he was president of Tower Semiconductor USA, VP Marketing and Sales. Daron is a partner at J Ventures and Transformation Equity Partners. Daron Simon, thank you so much for being on 20-Minute Leaders. So gracious of you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so we know each other through uh, J Ventures, the wonderful uh, early-stage venture capital firm uh, here in Silicon Valley, a capitalistic kibbutz. Uh, you're, a, you're very recently a venture, venture partner there, an LP in, in the screening committee. Uh, but besides that, you have a ton of experience uh, working with two incredible public companies uh, on growth and strategy, Tower Semiconductor and NICE. Uh, and I'd love to spend this episode talking about just that, uh, strategy and growth and sort of the back scenes of what drives these companies to success. I'd love to uh, share my experiences with that, uh, without opening. And incredible. So, Dron, let's just start. Give me a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from? What excites you? How do you even get to do what you did? So, grew up in Israel, as you can detect from the accent. Uh, <laughs> I moved here as part of a tower semiconductor uh, when uh, Silicon Valley was still about silicon and semiconductors, and uh, this was around 2001. Did Silicon town. Valley was was it actually mainly about chips and silicon? It was all about chips a while back, and not too far. Finally, back. I get it. So, yeah, 23 years later. Okay, amazing. Uh, so. Um, this is after the standard career uh, army and uh, going to study in the Technion and starting some jobs uh, in tech. Uh, and over here, I spent some time uh, running Tower USA as president and VP marketing. And uh, also uh, in between Tower and Ice, I had a stint as a uh, consultant for six years with early stage companies. So I've, uh, worked quite a bit with the go-to-market strategies for early stage companies of all types. Right. Okay. And it's just very quickly, go-to-market strategy in two words. What, what, is, what does that mean for you? So for the early stage stuff, it's something that uh, many of the companies have typically, typically a need or they recognize a need, but they don't have a defined uh, product necessarily or right. defined the uh, how you sell it, how you package it, what is the product, is it a service, is it uh, something uh, tangible? So even if they do have a product, it's not. there's not necessarily a strategy of how do you get this product to fulfill this need. Yeah, and we call it product market fit in the, in the textbook, but it's a phase where you have to share what you think with potential customers uh, and get feedback and at least hone on your first version, the minimum viable product. With, with software, it's easier. It's very easy to set up and test. 
when you involve hardware or things that are developed in the physical world, it's much tougher. So uh, I did a lot of uh, uh, both more complicated uh, machines typically. Okay, and and then what is how do you go from from that to to you know growth strategy M and A because that's really the next part of of the life cycle of a startup, right? Yeah. So the way I look at it, uh, probably strategy and M and As are the least discussed uh, realities in the uh, call it venture ecosystem. Uh, when you look at it from the uh, startup side, I'll start with that. Statistically, most startups would end their life in as part of an NMA if they are lucky. Uh, very few actually make it all the way to an IPO, and many fall on the way. But MA is a big uh, piece of the outcome of a startup, and startups don't gear up and don't build themselves towards an MA. Uh, and there is a, a basically an art to how you do it right. We leave that for later. In, from a company uh, that is established point of view, uh, once you've uh, crossed a certain threshold, and this is typically in the already multi-million dollar type revenue, so call it 10, 15, 20, and you start to grow, there's quite a bit of runway which you can do by focusing on what you set up the company to do initially. Right. And then starts to uh, be a more strategic approach of growth that could be coming out of uh, outside of your core. How do you accelerate? How do you uh, address non-core either features or markets? Uh, how do you respond to market changes? How do you head risks? Uh, and you get to uh, the more creative side of uh, business development. Um, which is uh, either partnerships, strategic partnerships, co-development, and eventually M&As. Uh, and in M&As, you are either being acquired or being the acquirer. So hold on, this is really this is really complicated because you, what you're essentially saying is, uh, let's look at a life cycle of a startup. We're starting out, we're running the company, we're controlling the product, we're the ones selling it, and then we reach a point in time where we. Are have we are making enough revenue? You said 10, 15, 20 million, and we have to start making these creative decisions of how do, how do we position ourselves as key players and how do we collaborate and work with potentially other key players, either as partnerships, mergers, or acquisitions, right? So that is the interesting phase of mind switch. We're not alone in this. Now we're in the big players league and we can actually work with others and provide value to others. Yeah. It, that's exactly right. The threshold could vary quite a bit. So it right. could happen in 15, it could be happen in 150. But in order to cross the billion, the two companies that I've uh, had my longest career runs uh, with are at one and a half billion dollar run rate. Right. Uh, to get to the billion league, uh, and this is in sales, not in valuation, it's not the unicorn billion, it's the actual sales, revenue generating sales. Per uh, year, you get a little bit more uh, than just your initial momentum. So you mean that was a billion and a half a year's a year yearly revenue? Yeah, that's insane. So so you were essentially helping lead growth and strategy in two companies that are public, and they're generating over a billion dollars in revenue a year. So not their market cap is a billion, but they're generating a billion in revenue, which means you have a lot of things you can do. Yeah, and that's where you come in. And that's where you come in. So you generate cash. Typically, uh, you, you get out of the cash starvation mode. Right. Uh, but you still need to use it wisely. And you need to uh, 
make sure that every uh, dollar you invest brings you uh, much more than that uh, dollar worth uh, in, in future returns. What is that role, strategy and growth? Like how, how do you even work a study for that and prepare for that? So th- there, there is no official title for it. Many MBAs would eventually end up doing pieces of that. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the, the, the role is basically something that you develop within big corporations. There's no playbook or school to go to. Uh, besides gaining experience. And essentially, every uh, CEO or business leader that is uh, taking a company to that uh, journey of a billion-dollar company uh, comes across the need for that. Uh, how you do it is different. How you do it is uh, could vary from uh, one company to another in a substantial way. But it's you want to get it right. Uh, at the core, what is your market? What is your strength? And in right. a very realistic assessment, what you're missing and what you can get better outside, uh, which is the first part. That's uh, what I call the easy part. And when I say easy, it's still hard work. Yeah. Uh, you need to remember that for every M&A that happens out there, there's probably uh, 10, 15 or 20 that you looked at and you passed for various reasons uh, before you decide to pull the plug on a, on a single M&A in a corporate. Uh, and then comes the hard part, which is the uh, execution, the integration into a big company. There's a lot of aspects to consider when you integrate cultural, uh, work environments, um, just different lexicon, different lingo, although you may be in the same market. Uh, a lot of uh, little details that uh, basically uh, are planned to guarantee that the MA is eventually successful and statistics. Okay, so give me give me a couple of those earned secrets from, from your experience in watching MAs and and different deals come about. What because a lot of them are not not successful, right? We hear all the time of these different acquisitions who turn out the, the technologies didn't integrate and the cultures were too different, or maybe financially it was just didn't make sense. What, what what can we how can we even start to evaluate ahead of time whether an MA will be successful or not? So first, statistics in the big world works against you. It's similar to startups. Really? Most M&As fail. Uh, Yeah, depends whose book you read, but uh, (laughs) basically beyond 50% fail or don't achieve the original targets. Wow. Uh, And uh, it does take uh, a lot of discipline and a lot of planning to do it right. Uh, I believe that uh, also you have to consider the... uh, uh, post-merger activities with a lot of uh, what you call EQ, uh, emotional IQ. Yes. And treat yes. people in a way that uh, basically shows them the way in joining a, a bigger company as a career opportunity rather at the end of the journey. And, and a lot of uh, startups are kind of, uh, call it, uh, um, triggered by the fact that when they sell out, it's the end of the journey as opposed to a start of a new journey, which uh, is where some of the benefits could be reaped by the bigger companies. So of course. unless you buy technology, if you want to buy a business and continue to operate and grow it, you have to uh, keep the team motivated. You have to uh, get them into your family and you have to uh, learn how to leverage each other's uh, strength, which is a very, um, in a way, it's a tough process for every human being. It's like uh, switching families. 
Well, no, I mean, I, and, and I, you see the, a lot of different extremes. You see some companies after they perform an acquisition, they keep the other company as a separate entity completely, maintaining their culture and their DNA. You see others that are absorbing them and bring them directly into their offices and, you know, change your, from now on, your company X before you were Y. Is there, is there now an insight into how do you do that best? Or, or is it a case-by-case basis, really? It, to me, and this is uh, coming from a company that did m as at the rate of, uh, uh, let's call it on average, three or four a year. Uh, th- there is no playbook, per se. And right. Just the case for the company. And it's also a, a case of, you know, the acquirer, who is the business owner that gets to run the acquisition and, you know, Ideally, you can buy something and run it as a standalone company if everything is perfect. Right. Uh, but it's not the only playbook. If you're talking about serial acquirers, people like Cisco at the Times, Oracle, Salesforce, uh, they're more operating based on playbooks and right. cumulative history that is just uh, sheer numbers. Uh, but again, I, I do feel that when you do a major acquisition, when you go into uh, something that is transformational, and I've done, uh, I was involved in something like that at uh, NICE, uh, you have to uh, call it, uh, prepare its own playbook. You can just open a generic one and say, this is my way. Interesting. I want to go a little bit back to growth because now I'm, now I'm asking for some personal tips. Uh, I wish for myself that I'll get to a position sooner rather than later that I grow a startup that, uh, that has made a positive impact, has generated revenue, and now I'm at a position as in a leadership role where I can now leverage my new cash flow to grow the company and to think more broadly about how do we become a key player? What are some of the the key challenges or opportunities for a young entrepreneur who has never experienced this before, right? You have a lot of CEOs that all of a sudden fall into a, they have a SaaS platform that generates a lot of revenue and now they have to make these strategic decisions. So how can I best position myself when I get to that position, if I get to that position, to make the right decision? So it is quite, call it mundane, when you talk about strategy. There's a a clear way of uh, working out a strategy. It starts with uh, analyzing your strengths and weaknesses and what are the uh, growth areas you want to aim. Uh, You talk to customers all the time. This is something the CEO knows very well how to do. And when you talk to customers and actually listen to them, not just talk to them, uh, and a startup CEO, by the way, they talk first because they are used to selling mode, educating the market on a new thing. At a certain point in time, you have to start to listen and uh, pick up clues. What's missing in features? What's missing in uh, complementary product? I've seen this company doing a great job uh, that works together with your uh, product side by side, uh, maybe you want to talk to them to see if you can cooperate. Right. Uh, you have to be very attentive to clues like that in order to develop that, uh, what I call non-organic strategy and start to address, you have to know your market, you have to know the ecosystem, you have to know what your competitors are doing. And right. the role of that strategy function or business development function is to kind of collect all of these inputs and roll them into a one coherent strategy and a plan. 
Okay. So it's not, so it's not just going with your, with your co-founders to the beach uh, over, uh, over a weekend on a retreat uh, and then uh, talking about some strategy. I'm kidding, of course, but yeah. that's, what, that's what they show in the movies, at least. Uh, Daron, I, I, I also want to talk, because you're, you're coming from Israel, and one of the things that, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are, are saying, you know, the startup nation is fantastic, and there's so many great, great companies. And I've also heard the term exit nation roll around uh, a few times, and it seems like there is sort of a different mentality, especially when it comes to this growth and M&A stage between a lot of Israeli companies and companies that are founded and based in the U.S. Do you also see some difference or is there any difference in mindset in that regard? I think there is a difference of mindset and uh, I, th- there are many factors that could be attributed to that. But first, there is a change. In, in the recent years, you're seeing more companies break that, call it $1 billion in sales ceiling. Amazing, yeah. Getting uh, uh, to be more common that things like that would uh, would happen. Right. Uh, but uh, th- there is also an ecosystem that you need to work with when you do those M&As and strategic moves. And this is something that uh, could uh, involve bankers and uh, uh, investors uh, access to capital, and sometimes in uh, the Israeli ecosystem, it's a very local community. They don't think as much uh, about that piece of the growth as the U.S.-oriented bankers and financial ecosystem around companies. So um, it's not an Israeli mentality per se. You've got a lot of very good Israeli founders that do it here in a different way. Uh, but the Israeli ecosystem, I don't think, is developed yet enough to address all of these, uh, call it, auxiliary needs. Okay, so, so you're, think, you're thinking about in the, in the realm of the Israeli ecosystem, which is, yeah. you know, because you, you need a lot of moving players to get to a, a growth, to get to a growth mindset and to get a mindset in terms of your ability to actually grow a company to that level and get to an M&A. And it's more about the maturity of all the players around, not just the founders themselves. Absolutely. And, and you've got very sophisticated set of VCs, which have that, call it uh, 10 to 12 years runway mentality. Uh, and somebody needs to take it from there. And this is typically either private equities or bankers or right. other, uh, call it pieces of that ecosystem. Fascinating. I mean, this is just also, it, it sounds like there's so many moving pieces and it's, and it's so much more complicated uh, than just this, uh, this, you know, this young and hardy notion of let's just create a company and, and grow it to be a billion dollars. No, you actually get to, to real stuff that you have to consider a lot of moving pieces. And it's not just about the founder. It's not just about the company. It's also about your whole market and where you position it. There are, what excites you? What, what, like you, you see so many companies, you worked with so many. What really excites you on the day to day? So first, uh, every time I see a new founder with a new idea that kind of resonates with me, it excites. It excites and gets you energized just because you just identify with what they are creating or about to create. Uh, Besides that, I I love to see a plan come through. Okay, I love to see a plan that you put four or five or six years ago, and all of a sudden you look back and say, it actually worked. It was a playbook. Wow. And uh, this is something that is very, very satisfying and exciting. I'm sure. Um, and besides that, a deal. Every time you're involved in a deal, that's an exciting phase. How many, how many exciting deals would you say you've been involved with over the years? Uh, I would say pro- it, it's, 
probably north of uh, 30. North of 30 deals? Yeah, some of them are small, some of them are bigger, but yeah. Wait, 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 Duran, what, what's small? What's, what's a small deal? Small could be an acquisition that is an acqui hire or technology acquisition that you do just for uh, a tuck-in. Uh, typically, you don't hear about those. Those are the um, uh, typical quiet ones. And some of them could be uh, much, much bigger, much more involved, much more complicated. I'm sure. Well, you know, Duran, just... To give context, I mean, the, the majority of people in the tech industry, especially entrepreneurs and, and tech executives, wish they would be a part of a single great deal throughout their lives. So just, uh, so just listening to you, I'm, I'm getting so much insight and seeing you've gone through more than 30 deals, whether they're big or small. I mean, that's just so inspiring. Daron, we only have a, 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 just a few minutes left, but I, I love to ask this last question, everybody. And I'd love to know three words that you would best use to describe yourself. I'm especially curious. I hear from people of all industries. So what, what are your three words? Three words. Uh, one for sure would be foresight. Foresight. Okay. What does that foresight. mean? Explain. Uh, being able to look ahead. Okay. Behind the curve. <laughs> so foresight. Uh, I would say you have to have tenacity to last in uh, this industry. Do what sure. I do. And uh, the underrated one of all is team player. I think that's critical to be a team player. You mentioned right before we started the call that one of the things that you, that you are very proud of is that a lot of the, the great successes you've been a part of, it's not necessarily that you had to be you know, the founder, the leader, but you were, sometimes you were the, the guy in the back behind the scenes that was really thinking things through and, and allowing for the great deals to happen. And, and, but, but at the end, you're a team player. That's how you identify yourself, which I think is beautiful. Yeah, a lot of uh, business development guys are in the shadows for many, many reasons. But uh, uh, I've, I've met over my career some great ones, and uh, they're all able to uh, foresee and execute. I love it. Daron, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for the inspiration. And uh, I'm just going to have to see you around in the J Ventures meetings. Yeah. I can't wait to see you uh, face-to-face again. Thank you. Take care. 